Hello, everybody, and welcome to the On the Farm Pitcherless podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. Today, we're joined by Alex Coyle. He's the lead broadcaster for the Memphis Redbirds, the AAA affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals. We uh, worked together back a little bit in indie ball. We were both interns for the Florence Yalls, so represent uh, representing the Yalls today in, in indie ball. So good that we can kind of keep that connection going and, and bring Alex on the podcast today. We're going to be talking a bit about um, kind of the general kind of state of AAA, some like rule changes that have been happening, some players in the in the Cardinals organization that Alex has seen. So uh, really excited to get into that. But uh, before we do, Alex, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Just uh, uh, got done with the MLB Desert Invitational out here uh, in Arizona, so uh, had had six games this weekend. Got to see a lot of uh, soon-to-be minor league prospects and made and big leaguers uh, play for their colleges. It was, it was a fun weekend out here, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Was there a, was there like a team that really impressed you that you think is like going to be really good this year? Well, so it, it's so hard to to judge because you know, especially at the college baseball level, there's so many unknowns, but like. Where, where Grand Canyon University's program is right now, it, it's really impressive to, to see where that, that, that started and where it is. Like, they were the only team to go 3-0 and this weekend. They, they were really good. Ohio State has some really good young freshman arms that, that showed up out of the bullpen. Um, so they look good with a 2-1 and weekend. And then Kansas State, uh, if they play their game, they're, they're, they're number 24 in the country right now and have two top 100 draft prospects. Uh, and Tyson Neighbors and, and Kalen Culpepper. And, uh, you know, if they play their game and the way they should play, they're going to beat a lot of teams. Sweet, sweet. I always love to hear a, a Big Ten team getting a shout-out in baseball because being a, being a Hawkeye fan, you know, and having them kind of getting their – their run this year. Look, they got a preseason ranking. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Big Ten baseball for a while wasn't uh, wasn't too big, and so I feel like they've been getting they've been getting pretty competitive lately. So it's always fun to hear. Um, Rick, how are you doing today, man? Man, I I'm just I'm soaking all this in. This is fantastic. <laughs> After being in like college baseball mode over the weekend, uh, it's so nice to be hearing about a little bit of college baseball talk. I know as a Hawkeye fan, uh, what is it, Brody Brock? Yeah. Brought. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brett. Yeah. Brett, I think. Yeah. yeah. That was amazing. 11 strikeouts and four and a third innings. He did walk six batters, but I mean, who's counting? Yeah, that could be ironed um, out, you know. <laughs> and then Alex, I think you got a chance to see Travis uh, Bazzara with uh, Oklahoma or Oregon, Oregon State. State. Yeah. Well, I, I got it. I just see him last year. I did not see him the, this year, but but he's he's the real deal, too. Man, I'm telling you, he was crushing some home runs yes. over this weekend. That was pretty crazy. I, I, I think that they were out in that area, but I couldn't remember yeah, which I one. I think they were playing out in Surprise. You're right. Uh, it is Surprise. Uh, another name that, that honestly came out of nowhere for me and wasn't on any lists, this random uh, – I guess random to me. I shouldn't say random. But uh, this this kid named, from Hawaii named Kuhio Aloy in the eight-hole – designated hitter, not the biggest guy in the world, plays for BYU and just hits bombs. Oh, wow. The only thing on his bio said that he could hit a golf ball 400 yards and he could hit a baseball about just as far. It was insane. It was crazy. I'm impressed. Yeah, sold. (laughs) That's awesome. So listen to his name. Look for him. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Rick, how was Wake Forest? Man, that was an experience. 
Uh, I was able to uh, see Hartle, uh, Josh Hartle pitch. He was absolutely fantastic. It's so amazing to see a uh, finesse pitcher. I mean, he was topping out at 92, but last year he barely touched 90. Um, but working with his fastball, the changeup, you know, he's mixing in a, a low 80 slider in there and just so effective, man. Just so effective. Uh, so he, he pitched pretty darn well. Uh, Nick Kurtz was everything everybody's talking about. I mean, he, he put on a lot of muscle mass. He looks ready to go for a good season. Great defensive skills. Made an amazing play. Um, didn't get a hit whenever I was there, but he was lifting that ball. <laughs> he was fouling off everything. So it was pretty impressive. You know, we're, we're able to see quite a few. Seaver King also played, but uh, just caught them on the wrong day. I missed the Chase Burns start. I ended up watching. Yeah, I ended up watching a lot of uh, film afterwards. And man, that kid is something. Jeez. I think I wrote, I, I wrote about him earlier today and seven out of his 10 fastballs that he threw in the first inning were over a hundred miles per hour. That's pretty, and this, pretty good. And, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> the slider was like topping out at like 92, 93. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, geez, man, come on. I mean, you got a change up that's 94 and 96. You're, you're like complete, like DeGrom status right now. Right. 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 Man. And that's as a awesome. Mets fan, you're just like, geez. Oh, I love it. All right. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll continue updating you all on what we're seeing in college baseball. Maybe we'll do an episode about that kind of down the line here. But uh, but I wanted to, you know, before we get into the the meat and potatoes of the episode, I wanted to kind of just, you know, introduce the, the audience a bit more to Alex, kind of, you know, kind of where you started, where you came from and whatnot. So a little bit about your, your background in baseball. Um, so first off, you know, what's your what's your baseball fandom story? How'd, how'd that start? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Valparaiso, Indiana, which is about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Chicago, um, just south of Lake Michigan. And, um, you know, when you grow up in that area, the the, the team you root for is the, the Chicago Cubs. Huge Cubs fan growing up. Um, you know, ton of memories, you know, going to Wrigley um, when we could and, you know, just playing baseball in general in that area. So, um, started there, <clears throat> grew up, you know, playing baseball as, as long as I can remember. Um, and then, um, you know, made my way out to Arizona state university in, in 2018. And, you know, with the baseball history there, everybody, uh, you know, that has come through and made an impact at the major league level, um, you know, it, you know, it furthered that fuel to the, the love of baseball. And, um, you know, I tried to play as long as I could literally played until the day before I moved in at school. And, um, since then it was, uh, uh talking about baseball and, and, and having that be the, the, the degree path that I wanted to take. And, um, so now we're attempting at least to talk about baseball for a living, um, and, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, cross paths uh, in, in Florence, Kentucky, in the um, independent league with uh, Jake Mache, of course. Um, y'all or nothing. Y'all or nothing. <laughs> Named after a water tower, can't, can't beat it. It's peak minor league baseball. Uh, that was my uh, first stop in professional ball. And then um, now the last two seasons with Memphis. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's, that's awesome. And you're just, you know, you're just getting started, man. I think it was really cool. You got that, that triple A gig pretty quick, you know, after, uh, 
after getting into the, the, you know, the professional world. So that was, that was awesome to see. I remember seeing that and being like, Oh, hell yeah. You know, that's, that's a good gig. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And, and it was, took a lot of luck to get there. A lot of, uh, a lot of people told me no before Memphis told me yes. So, um, it's, it's an awesome to, to work in and work with the guys in the Cardinals organization. Of course, growing up as a Cubs fan, you kind of have a, a certain way to look at St. Louis. And now that I can see it from the other side and, and see the, the, the daily work that goes into to what they do and, and the kind of people that they are, uh, it's awesome to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and then I'm just really curious here, what your day-to-day looks like you know like how do you what does a game day look like you know how do you kind of prep for a game and and then uh what is that just what does that process look like you know because it's a it's it's a cool job you know being able to show up to the baseball stadium every day you know so uh, what goes into that for you yeah so during the regular season in memphis i look at prep as as something that is always happening Uh, whatever i'm doing like uh you know some form of, of, of prep is helping me, right? Whether it's just simply talking to people. <clears throat> I try to, you know, go down to batting practice, go down to the clubhouse, go down to all that just to, you know, not even with the, any direct intention on getting something from somebody, just simply being around, hearing what they're saying to other guys, having normal everyday conversations, talking to guys like Luke and Baker about college football and, and stuff like that to – you know, to, to help shape things uh, and give me, uh, even if it's not something I use on air, some background knowledge to be able to set things up um, and, and also, you know, be more of a human being. Because when I, if I do need to get something from them, uh, it's more likely to happen that way. Um, and, and again, you know, a lot of it's credit to the, the type of people I work with in that organization. And um, so, so that makes my job a lot easier. Um, you know, for an event like the Arizona Fall League or um, the MLB Desert Invitational, where it's kind of not necessarily one-off games, but you're not around the guys every single day, it's a lot of um, intense reading of bios and, and what scouts think on this. And uh, it's a lot of more of uh, a narrative controlling um, from the outside. And so, um, you know, I, I try to not put too much pressure on myself to make sure I cover every single thing. Um, if I miss something in a random, in a guy's bio, it's not going to, you know, it, it, I, at some point, like the family members watching them play, like they're going to hear the same bio every single time. If it's going to be, you know, different broadcasters for, for some of the games and showcases that they play in. So sometimes just talking about the game and, and you, know, you know, some, some general, uh, some general generalizations um, to, to, you know, be, be a little bit different is, is never a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, sweet. I think, um, that's, that's just such a cool environment to, to be around. Um, and then in general, like when you talked about like kind of just being a, being a person and kind of talking to the guys so you could kind of come back to them later, like how, how was that process kind of originally kind of like just like being around the players and building relationships with them? Um, and then how does it like, how does it usually go when you need information? You know, like what's the, how, how like, you know, open are they? Or is it like, have you kind of had a good relationship with guys and you usually get some nice information from, from the clubhouse to kind of tell them the broadcast, you know, cause that's, that's uh, I think something that's always cool is just listening to broadcasts, hearing the, the kind of stories that you're able to tell and kind of that, that information you're able to get. Yeah. You, you definitely have your guys that you can always go to. 
Um, and I think, you know, the, you have to create relationships organically. Trying to force relationships, especially early in a season, um, you know, can, can either wear guys out or just make it not as um, authentic, I guess, is the way it would be. Um, you know, I, I had the benefit of being, you know, when I came to Memphis, being really young and around the same age or younger than a few of the players. So they saw me more as a peer than someone that was trying to, you know, just get quotes and, and go back up to the booth and stuff like that. Not saying too many people are, but, but there is a, you know, uh, uh, um, not necessarily always a positive view on the player side of, of people in the industry. And that's not necessarily a bad thing on them at all. Um, so that helped me, um, you know, just strike up normal conversations about, um, you know, st stuff in our lives that we are all doing at the same time and, and things that we all enjoy. Um, and, and specific guys for me in the two seasons that I've been there, Luke and Baker mentioned him earlier. Um, probably one of my favorite people I've ever worked with, um, at, at, you know, on the player side of things, just, he's a normal guy that'll have normal conversations. And then if, if I needed it or had anything to turn it baseball in, he would talk about baseball for as long as you wanted. Um, you know, Yvonne Herrera um, is, a, is awesome, an awesome guy as well. Um, you know, he, he I, I have always wanted to learn Spanish and, and, and something that it still should be a goal of mine and that I actually need to do. But um, at the end of the season, 2022, he's like, hey, like, you know, I told him, like, hey, my offseason goal is to try to learn some Spanish. Fast forward to the first day I see him in the 2023 season, he starts speaking to me in Spanish. And I go, yeah, I didn't do that. I totally forgot to that. I forgot. It just, I just didn't do it. And so I try to come up with some, some extra Spanish for him every time I'd see him, but, but little things like that, try to, again, be a human being with them as, as much as you can to, to have them be, feel comfortable around you. And once one or two guys start to feel comfortable around you, other guys see that right. and, and are more open to, to dealing with you on a daily basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. Always got to, you know, build those relationships and uh, just kind of make the players feel, you know, feel comfortable and, and whatnot. So that's that's awesome. You're able to kind of build those relationships, get that, that information for the games because it's it's huge for, for broadcasts and fans and whatnot. So um, awesome, awesome. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, then we're going to come back and we're going to kind of dive into AAA, you know, in general, talk about some rule changes and uh, things that we've been noticing about uh, the league as a whole and kind of Alex's perspective uh, as a broadcaster. So we'll be back in uh, just a minute. All right, we are back and ready to get in depth about the kind of current state of, of AAA and uh, how things are kind of going there. So, you know, the first thing we kind of want to touch on is just the the rule changes. You know, last offseason, they're a huge topic for, you know, both Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Uh, and the minors have kind of been seeing a lot of these these tests for the rule changes for a while now. And um, but then, then they kind of have come to a lot of them have come to Major League Baseball. So just want to kind of talk about like how last year, you know, compared how it played out for for the games that Alex saw in AAA and kind of like what we can take away for uh, gameplay moving forward. The biggest uh, thing that is, I think, the most intriguing for for future MLB games is, of course, the automatic balls and strikes or the ABS system. And so, you know, I wanted to ask Alex how that's kind of gone, you know, like logistically. And so what they did is they split it up. So half the games are like the 
the challenge system where, you know, each team gets, I think, three challenges and you can like ask the the people up in the booth, you know, to review it. Um, and then they also had games where it was full um, automatic system where everything was called balls and strikes. And so I want to ask kind of like, what, what did you see? Um, what differences, gameplay differences between, did you notice between those two uh, systems in play? And maybe did you prefer one or the other? Kind of what were your observations there about uh, ABS? Yeah, so I'll start off with the idea of ABS. You know, I completely understand wanting to have consistency and something definitive that you can actually look at and be like, okay, here, this is what it was. Um, The issue is batters and pitchers are never going to agree on what the strike zones should be. So therefore the dimensions of the ABS zone is always going to be of, of contention. So that's, that's a, um, a conversation that uh, people, if they do want to implement that at the major league level, uh, people are going to have to talk about that for a long, long time and take a long look at that to make sure that, uh, you know, you get it right and you find that perfect balance between pitchers, pitchers and hitters. But, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. Um, but also I, I think if you're going to, you know, institute it, I think the challenge system is, is what you have to do for, for a couple reasons. Um, you know, the, the home plate umpires still have an effect on things. Um, the, the, you know, the OBS or the, the, the ABS system is not good, you know, can't have the feel for a game. So, like, uh, if a guy's spraying the ball around and, you know, can't throw strikes, like, should he get the real extreme borderline pitch? It technically would be a strike in ABS, but really doesn't look like a strike. You know, completely misses a spot, you know, it, it, uh, to where a home plate umpire can have the feel for a game situation and stuff like that. Um, I also think the challenge system brings an added strategy. You know, ba- baseball as the game, like, the, the fans, the hardcore fans love the strategy of it. Um, and, and I think we saw that with pickoff moves a little bit, the, the limitations on that. I'm sure we'll get into that later as well. The added strategy of that, bigger leads on the after a guy's used his two pickoff attempts. Do you go use a smaller lead because you, know, you still could get picked off? And, um, you know, I think you do you want to use a challenge early in the first inning? In Memphis, the philosophy was – we're going to save our challenges until like they truly actually matter late in the game and not some two, one pitch in the second inning with one out and nobody on base. Um, so I, I think that's a really good thing if you are going to use the, the ABS system, but, but I still would prefer as much as I enjoy complaining about umpires at times. Um, yeah. I think, I think that is one of the things that I, you know, kind of hope can stay as, old school as possible yeah right okay just just curious what um what was kind of the role of the umpire in the games where it was like full abs you know like how did that differ like were they just like like you know it's, it's kind of weird where they're kind of there just kind of like the conductor almost they're just kind of telling you what's what's going on in their ears so how did you kind of see that play out yeah so the, it it seemed like they were much more of an administrator of the game um 
you know, I, I don't think, you know, th- there could be a study on this, but I kind of wonder if there were more pitch clock violations during ABS games because the umpires were, the home plate umpire was focused directly on that, didn't exactly have to focus on a strike zone necessarily. Um, so, you know, m- you notice more of the administration aspect of their job. Of course, they're still out there on the field and uh, making every other call other than balls and strikes. Um but yeah, they'd get buzzed or told in their ear whether it was ball or strike, and um, you know, I, I think for, I, I didn't have a chance to speak to a lot of umpires to, to hear what they thought about it um, or what that process like and how they you know maybe would change things. But um, it was definitely much more of an administration position on the field for umpires back there. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, I, I think I would. I'd love to see that uh, that challenge system. It's you know, it's it's similar to kind of other sports. You know how they do. You know how they kind of handle tech. You know, with with the challenges and and whatnot. And you know, baseball already has the challenge system for automatic replay and whatnot. So it feels like that would kind of be the next logical step. And because the full ABS just seems like like a, a real big leap. You know, like we're just trying to get there yeah. really quickly, and we're just gonna you know put this in place again it's it seems kind of hasty you know and and i think it gives something to everybody right you're going to have the people that still want the human element like myself involved in the game but you're also going to give it to where in a big moment you know it's not going to end on a terrible call unless you've mismanaged your use of challenges right um right so and i think what a lot of what we found was a lot of times the umpire was right, <laughs> you know. Uh, there were not a ton of, of successful challenges. And from the fan perspective, it was really cool how they were able to add the technology um, to in some stadiums in AAA, like in Memphis, they had um, during ABS games, they had the ABS system up on the left field wall so you could see where it hit and, and how close it was to the zone. And during challenge games, when it was challenged, they had the animation up on the video board, uh, similar to what they do with uh, uh, in and out calls in tennis. That's awesome. That's good. I think it's, um, I've always loved watching tennis and seeing like seeing it live. And it seems so like obvious and very clear and like open, like everyone can see it. This is what we're seeing. We're kind of like in almost like a challenges and like in football, you have the announcers kind of giving their best guess and you have like experts coming on and sometimes they're wrong. And it's like, everyone's kind of like waiting until the guy behind the curtain says one or the other, you know? And so having that up, that visual up there where you can point and think, okay, this is exactly how close it was. It was right on the edge or it just missed, you know, I think that that definitely adds a, a layer of just like kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and showing and, and also just getting more familiar with the strike zone because watching it on TV, you see like that box on the screen, you know, and then it's like, how, how does that differ from the actual strike zone, you know, being like three dimensional. So I think it's just way off too. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's just, I think it's just a fan viewing experience. Is the quicker we can get something like that. It does, it does sound really cool from, from that perspective, just kind of seeing, uh, seeing how it works, you know, and, and actually then another thing. Point, yeah. Yeah. Really quickly on, on one end of that with the ABS technology, um, we were actually able to add during ABS games, the, the technology of putting ABS on our broadcast too. Um, oh, okay. Yeah strike zone to show people at home so that was one of the cool things that we could get innovative with that and you know it wasn't all bad wasn't all negative but but i think if they're going to use their challenge system is definitely more beneficial sure okay definitely um yeah but something something else i think that was kind of talked a little bit about with last year specifically 
in just guys kind of making the jump between levels. And you kind of, if you're, you know, if a, if a guy is going between like, you know, the Southern League in double A, maybe playing with a tacky ball and then, you know, coming up to the International League and doing ABS and then going to Major League and none of it's there. And like, there's a lot of things that guys have to adjust to. And I think some things that some people kind of picked up on was like walk and strikeout rates being pretty variable in AAA. And there was guys like uh, like Gavin Williams who came up who had like a 10% walk rate in, in AAA, you know, come up and he actually wasn't quite as wild as what it kind of seemed like if you were just looking at like a box score, right? So I wanted to ask, Alex, have you noticed it kind of the ABS impacting player approaches, plate skills, you know, walk skills for pitchers and kind of like how you, if you've seen that, uh, that play out? Pitching, the pitchers took the brunt of um, the issues with the ABS system. The entire top, uh, according to pitchers and pitching coaches, I'll, I'll frame it this way. <laughs> yeah. According to them, the top third or top quarter of the strike zone was just not there. Um, you know, I, I can have, remember having a conversation with a reliever um, who had been up and down with some major league time, is no longer with the, the organization currently. Um you know, he was really like, it changes how you attack. And if you're, you're a pitcher that, you know, uses the top of the zone to your advantage and, and has your off-speed playoff of top of the zone fastball usage and getting that for a strike to establish that, you, most of your game plan is gone. And so um, not only do you have to go to a smaller area um, that a, a hitter can sit on something, you know, setting things up, you're not doing that as consistently. And sometimes you have to try more than once to set something up. Um, and, and if you are that much off in your command on any given day, you can see a lot more walks. Um, so I would say um, on average pitchers and especially relief pitchers, since they only have a, a specific window and then, um, a finite number of pitches that they can throw to even set up things in the first place when they're sequencing things, um, they, they got hurt. Also, I would say um, smaller hitters in terms of size, um, like height, like specifically, um, also um, did not were not helped by that, um, especially on some things like breaking balls that would wrap around the plate and clip the back of the zone because it was a 3D zone. So clip the back of it and, you know, you have, you know, some guys to use Kramer Robertson for an example. He got some strike three calls. There's like there's no way he's going to be able to put that in play like and and he it's strike three and, and sorry about it, you know, <laughs> see you next time. Right. And, and guys yeah. like that um, were not helped by, by that, especially on off-speed pitches and slower off-speed pitches as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is – and that's kind of like I mentioned kind of that, that aspect of the strike zone being 3D where I feel like, you know, it's definitely different from an umpire's just like – eyeballs you know doing the eye test and kind of like determining and they're also kind of at like a weird angle they're kind of just above the catcher and you know they they do like you mentioned they do a good job but when you can get like to the millimeter about like the 3d dimension of the strike zone and where exactly the ball clips it i mean it's just it's it's so intense and it feels like it's almost it reminds me of when runners slide into second base and they pop off the base for like like a split second. And with, you know, instant replay, all of a sudden we're seeing that happen live. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's off the base. He's out. Sure. 
but like that was never a part of the game. There's no way you could see that with your naked eye. There's no way you can see the ball clipping the back of the strike zone with your with the umpire's naked eye. And so it just adds a kind of a weird, like kind of futuristic like part to a game that feel that's always felt very organic. And so it's, you know, whether that's a good thing or not, maybe players kind of get to, maybe some pitchers get really good at kind of manipulating that. And then it's, um, you know, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how players still approach that. Or maybe like you said, with those, with those players who kind of have that disadvantage, like the hitters, how they start to adjust. And it's just, it just, it feels like, like an unorganic part of the game that's kind of being introduced to this. Yeah, I I totally agree. Totally agree with that. Um, You know, it's you mentioned the the barely coming off the base sliding past it like that was not the intention of the way they changed rules and and, and added replay it was not to get that play correct it was to get the obvious missed calls the um galarraga perfect game type calls uh correct so you don't have debacles like that not the oh his foot barely popped off the base because physics exists (laughs) right yeah yeah exactly and um, then I wanted to talk about some of the other kind of rule changes too that we've seen, uh, some of which that had been, you know, in minor league baseball before, but it's kind of been uh, um, adjusted kind of heading into last year. Um, so we had things, you know, like, like PitchCom was introduced in AAA last year for, I believe, the first time. So pitchers were able to work with that. Um, the base sizes changed, you know, last year, like you mentioned, the pickoffs, how, you know, all of a sudden players had to be more strategic about it. Pitch clocks were kind of been continually adjusting ever since they kind of were first introduced. So in in general, with those kind of like the handful of, of kind of those more minor rule changes that were introduced, you know, recently, what, what's been your overall impression about how these changes have, have impacted gameplay at the uh, AAA level? Uh, I'll start with Pitchcom. Like it has to work. Like the, 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 the reason you have Pitchcom is to speed up the game. And if you have it three times a week that where it doesn't work, that's that time that you were saving on the Pitchcom to have it. You lose that by the guy, the, the, the fourth coach trotting out there to fix it. And so I think, you know, the, the, the technology has to work. And I also think toward the end of the year, pitchers are like, hey, oh, this, I need to take control of this situation. I don't have a, uh, an extra timeout. I'm going to act as if I can't hear it. It all doesn't work all of a sudden. So some gamesmanship that you can add with that. Um, and so that, you know, it just has to work. And if you can get it to work and, and you know, technology is hard to figure out. I understand that. Um, I'm not great with technology, but – it's got to work if you're going to use that. Um, you know, as far as disengagements from the rub from the rubber, it didn't affect the game as much as I thought it was going to. Um, there are very few instances. I think maybe one or two times the entire year in Memphis games did um, the, did a player a base runner get the the extra base because a pitcher did not abide by that. And now it did, thankfully. As, as I saw in college this week, they don't have that role. And there were some times where it's like, all right, I think I don't think he's going and I don't think you're going to pick him off. So let's, you know, keep the game moving a little bit. So that did help. It, it did what it needed to do. And I don't think it, it um, you know, hurt any of the strategy of the game in terms of base running or, or really truly holding runners. Um, bigger bases, um, I'd say the same thing, you know, more successful, of course, the run game was reintroduced, which I was happy to see that Memphis used that really early on in the, in the campaign, um, didn't do as much in the second half of the season. 
Um, but anytime you can add more action, I like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, just I think from a fan's perspective, that was kind of one of the cooler ones because it's, I feel like stolen bases kind of leading up to last year had we really almost forgotten about. Like it was just like the, the really fast guys were able to do it and it was kind of like, oh, if they take it, you know, they take it. But I think last year you're always kind of like thinking like, okay, is this guy on first base like halfway fast? Then like there's a chance he could go or you're like paying more attention to like how quick the pitcher is and whatnot. And so it definitely I think it adds a cool layer just from from watching watching the game, you know. And just from the fans' perspective, and I think that's you know I think MLB done a pretty good job that with some of these rule changes because they do you know they have worked uh, on a few things. I think at first a lot of people were very against so much of this. Like I mentioned, like baseball has always been a very kind of like organic game. It's been played the same way for so long, and hasn't really, it took a long time to for technology to be introduced. You know, with that Armando Galarraga perfect game wasn't that long ago. You know, that was in like the 2010s, and so it's like come a long way very quickly and it, uh, it changed a lot for sure. But um, so that's good. That's interesting to hear that the, the pickoff specifically weren't very like, you know, super impactful, but it the, like, but also like you said, sometimes you're watching it and it's just like one after another, after another, and it just kind of eliminates those. So, so yeah, I think that's yeah. especially from a broadcasting perspective. Like I feel like you have to just cover so much dead time when that happens. Like, Oh, he goes again. And then you go into first. And there's, I think there's only so many times you can say that, right? Right. And, and yes. you know, Alex, you make a good point with this. Watching uh, college baseball this weekend, I was watching the Coastal Carolina-Duke game. I don't know if you, caught, if you guys caught any of that. Coastal Carolina player just constantly kept throwing over to first, throwing over to first. He was throwing over to third. He might have done, like, at least eight pickoff attempts in one inning. And I'm sitting here just going nuts, man. I'm like, please just pitch the ball. Like, yeah. And he finally got him because the guy was so tired getting up and going down. It went, I mean, he, well, there you go. There you go. That just encourages further, further behavior then, you know. Unacceptable. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think back in the 80s, Chris Welsh uh, threw over to check on Vince Coleman, uh, Coleman 17 straight times. What happened on 18? Coleman stole second base. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah war of attrition right yeah right exactly man but you know we'll uh we'll keep uh just kind of paying attention to how these things kind of continue impacting the game you know um because it's it can definitely have have a pretty significant impact uh, from really everyone's perspective um and then we also wanted to touch a little bit on this kind of trend that uh has been kind of pretty continually talked about and on you know podcasts and whatnot the beat writers have covered it but Really, AAA, it seems like the kind of landscape of it has changed, and it changed, and it really was like jump-started, I think, by the the contraction of the minor leagues, and now I think a lot of philosophy around pitching has changed, where it's more of like a save your bullets, get these guys in the majors, you know, and so a lot of players, a lot of the bigger prospects have kind of either skipped AAA, uh, it definitely helps uh, in some organizations where they have to deal with like the PCL the altitude and everything but you know you have some guys kind of tripping skipping it entirely and then you have some players really just spending like maybe a couple starts there just getting some ab's waiting for like that major league spot to open up and then like boom they're gone and so we wanted to kind of ask alex from his perspective kind of being around triple a the last couple years and and you know watching games and and keeping up to date with kind of what the cardinals have been doing like you know do you think like what do you think is kind of the state of AAA right now in that sense for those top prospects coming through? Is it still kind of that finishing school? And then how, the, how have the Cardinals kind of handled that compared to other orgs? 
Yeah, I think overall it's just it comes down to organizational philosophy. Do you view AAA as another level of development or do you view AAA as an extension of your major league roster or do you combine the two? Um, you know, in, in Memphis last couple of seasons, it, we've benefited from um, some great names coming through in terms of, um, you know, top prospects, at least in the, in the Cardinal system. Uh, Jordan Walker, number one prospect in all of baseball, didn't start with us. He was one, an example of skipping AAA. We caught him on the back end. He was down for a month, fixed his swing, and, and went back up for the season. On the other end, we saw Mason Wynn down for the majority of the season. We saw Nolan Gorman begin the season last year. Alec Burleson had a phenomenal campaign two seasons ago. Um, you know, a guy like Brendan Donovan started with Memphis and ended up winning a gold glove that year for the utility position. Um, so I think, you know, from, from the Cardinals, like they're always developing. Like I would even say some of the major league stuff that they do is, is, is especially with the young guys and who they have up there um, on the coaching staff, um, Willie McGee, especially for outfielders, like they continually develop them. And I think that's part of the reason why, Jordan Walker started there last year, um, and then he came down, worked with hitting coach Howie Clark, and really, really got his confidence back and was um, not worried about whether he was hitting the ball in the air or on the ground, which was originally why he was sent down, and just simply worried about being good at baseball. Like, like dude, you're, you're massive. You hit the ball really hard. Like, you're good at baseball and remembering that for him. And, you know, some players need that. Um you know, some other organizations again, like view it fully as an extension of their major league roster, kind of like the non-roster invitee to spring training on the minor league contract, but for the entire season. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, guys on the back end of their careers um, that are utility infield guys, I think uh, the Gwinnett Stripers of the Atlanta Braves organization is a great example of that. Some of the outfielders that they've had as well. Um, some some relievers that have spent some time there or, or whether it's coming over from a stint in Korea or Japan to, to come back over. Like, I, I think so many different teams have different philosophies on that. Um, and, and some do view it as another level of um, uh, of development. And, and, you know, I think – Honestly, you know, if the if it were up to the AAA cities, they would want the prospects there. Um, but obviously, it's uh, it's about winning that World Series and whatever the organization deems that uh, is the easiest and fastest and most effective way to get to that World Series. Um, that's what they're going to decide decide to do. Right. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Alex. Question for you, man. So when you are watching. You know, and and obviously announcing these games and and working through it with the broadcast booth. Um, do you do you see the talent the same way as maybe I know you watch a lot of baseball in general, where you can usually see in the lower level minors the talent usually rises to the top, the cream rises to the top. With some of these top prospects or players that you see here that figure it out. You know, do you end up seeing that massive difference in AAA? Because obviously, I know the talent level is supposedly a lot higher at that level. Do you see that big difference? Uh, on a few occasions, yes. Uh, what I would say uh, to to add slightly to my previous answer, like everybody at AAA deserves to be at AAA. Like they've earned it, and they're that good. 
um, to be there. Um, you know, it's just a matter of where they are in their careers. Um, so guys are going to struggle because it's the next level. I think Mason Wynn struggled the first month of the season, and then that just shows how good he was um, from that first month of the season to August 18th when he made his major, made his major league debut to improve his numbers to where they were. Um, and I think that's when you face that adversity for the first time, and some guys trip, triple A is that first sign of adversity, what kind of pro are you going to be? Are you like – how much – grind are you going to do um in the cages before games before other people get there extra work other than just simple normal batting practice um, mason Wynn was a guy that every single day worked with ben johnson on glove work um, something that was optional to, to everybody but mason um pretty much every single day and a couple others were in there consistently as well but mason you could count on him doing glove work. He's a tremendous defensive shortstop. Um, we know all about his arm and, and about, you know, what people have said about that. Um, and, and he did the same amount of work with his bat. And, and that's an example of, you know, at some point the work is going to show up in the talent. If you have that much talent and you work like that, you are going to be one of those guys that is an outlier in the game and just be like, all right, um, he's played enough AAA games. It's time to get him to St. Louis. Um, you know, and again, it shows you the level, the difference level in, in AAA to, to Major League Baseball. He went up there and took his lumps. But I can guarantee you he was a pro trying to uh, grind through and learn from guys up there just as much as he was when he was struggling for a brief time in Memphis at the beginning of the season. And he's going to be better for that, too, for spending that month up at the Major League level. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That that's awesome to hear because you you get that uh, you know that kind of behind the scenes look, and you can say like, yeah, like Win is here every single day working on this, and that's such a valuable kind of perspective to have on these guys when you're you know just talking about the game and, and calling games and uh, appearing on podcasts. So definitely appreciate you sharing that insight there. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to uh, come back and we're going to talk more specifically about some players that we you know, have noticed or interested in at AAA that the Cardinals have had um, and just kind of talk about what Alex has seen in the day-to-day, you know, calling games for these guys. So we'll be back in just a minute here. All right, and we're back and, you know, ready to kind of dive into some some player discussions and, and you know, get kind of some, uh, some breakdowns of, of these guys that are in AAA. Um, so, you know, naturally we just like to take the opportunity to, to get Alex's thoughts on some popular prospects and, so like we kind of talked about earlier with, you know, AAA with with guys not uh, spending as much time there. The Cardinals have had some guys that have spent a ton of time in AAA and like Alex was saying, like really worked on the development side of it. And um, so we will just kind of see if, if Alex has kind of seen anything else about some of these guys, because I think the Cardinals are definitely going to have, have been in the process of, of this big influx of, um, you know, of prospect talent. And there's a lot of competition for the major league roster. So with that, I think we wanted. I wanted to start with with Mason Wynn. You had just talked about him a little bit, Alex. Um, and really, the first thing that's on my mind is like, how was it watching him defensively every day play shortstop, and how like just impressive were that? Because we've seen the highlights. We saw the, you know, the throw from shortstop in like the Futures game where he's thrown over a hundred, you know, and it's like all you kind of see those highlights. But how what was it like watching really every day kind of go with go about his craft? It, it, it was it was amazing because you know 
it would show up in areas where you're like, you were not expecting it to. Like there was a, I can remember a ball that was blooped down the left field line. Guy was trying to score from second. All of a sudden he sprints out, picks it up, fades away and throws a bullet home and get, and gets the guy. Um, there was a relay from, from shallow center field where, you know, he threw it 99 miles an hour to home. Didn't get the guy, but like to see that was just, you know, you're not expecting it. Uh, but I think the the area of his defense that grew the most, I guess there were, there were two two things, but but specific tool wise was range and his glove work. Again, as I mentioned earlier, working with manager Ben Johnson every single day on the specific glove work, similar similar drills to what you would see Ron Washington run through. Um, with the guys in Atlanta um, um, before we picked up the managerial managerial job, obviously, but those kind of kind of drills before and after batting practice, and I think that's the stuff that that helped him, you know, because sometimes he used his arm to bail him out from from you know being out of position and stuff like that, um, and now like he's just a full on phenomenal defensive shortstop that can get to any ball and make a play on any ball. And that's something that is so valuable to have at that position. Now you add in the bat that he has, the power that he showed um, in Memphis, um, the, the approach that he's starting to mature with, like that's going to be a a really, really good player for St. Louis um, once he gets everything and um, set and adjust to the major league level. This right. is something that we've seen the Cardinals do time and time again is prioritize defense. You know, even when Paul DeYoung's average was not there, he was a fantastic defensive shortstop, right? Yep. And with Mason Wynn, we're kind of getting the full package now. We're getting a polished hitter, you know, that has, you know, big upside with the bat. The defensive skills, you know, are <laughs> amazing. I mean, I like to call him the professor because it's just amazing what he's able to do on the field, right? And, uh, you know, just amazing, amazing stuff. But it's something the Cardinals definitely stress. You see it, and it's so cool to be able to see somebody of this, you know, caliber be able to go through. Yeah, I think the coolest part is, like, you know, he's still very young, obviously, and hear how giddy he is when he talks about, like, meeting Ozzie Smith for the first time. And like being taught by Ozzie Smith different things. Like talk about defensive shortstop and in, in, in the stuff that he brought to St. Louis, right? To have that as a mentor, um, not on a daily basis, but in spring training um, and, and at certain times during the season is so valuable. And then I think Jose Akendo, um, Mason actually credits him a lot um, with his deep defensive development. Um, Jose, now uh, uh, a special assistant uh, to the organization at the minor league level, of course, had been their third base coach for a long, long time. Many thought that he was a managerial candidate. Um, but but how much uh, Mason credits Jose for mentoring him about sometimes you don't always need to throw 99 across the infield. Use it. Um, you know, use your arm to your advantage, but also like – if you unload every single time, you're bound to make some throwing errors and stuff. So using that smartly, only using 99 when he needs it, and, and, and other stuff that are you know much higher and, and way over my head that has helped uh, Mason's game out. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and then you kind of, you mentioned how he's really kind of wa- um, rounded out his skill set. And I want to kind of bring up his, like his power, because I think he's kind of viewed as kind of like a glove first kind of contact hitter, the standard kind of mold for a shortstop, you know, with, with maybe not a ton of power, but I think, you know, he was pretty surprising. Like he hit 18 homers last year in 498 plate appearances. And like he hit it to the gaps like he i just had it up here he had 15 doubles and three and seven triples to go along with that like he slugged 474 and so it seems like that's you know potentially underrated kind of part of his game how have you seen his power really kind of like play out in in the minors and kind of what are you expecting for him in the the power department going forward part of what unlocked his power was that it was you know pitch selection and, and approach but, but also, it was really a confidence thing instilled in him by hitting coach Howie Clark at AAA. Um, you know, I believe Mason mentions that it's the, it was a, the Indianapolis trip um, in, the, in the front half of the season, I believe beginning of June, if I'm correct, um, that you know, Howie pulled him aside after a game and was like, you can hit the ball hard. Like, you, you can hit the ball out of the yard. Um, you know, don't be afraid to do that. And here's, and, you know, had a discussion about power and what that can bring and, and, and the approach little shifts in that. And after that, he really unlocked July. He hit the um, uh, ball out of the yard a ton. Uh, he was hitting a ton of doubles as well. And with his speed, you get him on base, like, you know, at the very top of his power, he could be he could be a twenty twenty guy, right? Um, that's going to steal a lot more bases than, than hit home runs necessarily. But um, you know, if he can use the gaps to his advantage, like he's going to hit a lot of triples, he's going to hit a lot of uh, hustle doubles. Like he's going to be able to to slug in different ways that fit his type of player that necessarily didn't than just the the home run. Um, so seeing that. Um, progression for him made him that much more of a of a name that just stands out on the lineup card yeah absolutely absolutely uh moving on to the next player here i want to talk about uh matthew libertor he was a guy who was you know he came up and and he was like a huge you know prospect for the cardinals and then he made his made his debut uh back in 2022 you know didn't go so well but he started back at triple a started last season and like really just took off like he had one of the highest strikeout rates in in triple a at the beginning of last year and then you know kind of another sense he he got uh, promoted to the majors again and then he kind of you know saw some struggles and his strikeout rate at triple a overall for the year was 29.7 and it uh, dropped to 16.7 with the majors so i wanted to ask alex kind of when you've seen libertor at his best you know at triple a striking a bunch of guys out really dominating what um what have you you know what have you noticed when he is on that is going well for him uh notice that that he has a great fastball that he loves to to set up at the top of the zone and and uses his phenomenal curveball to play off of that when he is when he is attacking hitters early in the count getting strike one with the fastball and he can go to that breaking pitch he's added in a couple others slider um to to keep guys off balance that's when he's at his best now um he struggled with that at times at the major league level the velocity on that fastball and and at the major leagues the difference in in location um for for two to three miles an hour off of a fastball is a big difference. And that's when you saw him get hit around a little bit 
Um, you know, that's specifically what Oliver Marmol mentioned um, as one of the things that, that he wanted to see more consistency in. Um, I thought an interesting part was we saw at the end of the year, Libertor get some bullpen reps. I think that could be interesting. I think he is a starting pitcher just based on his repertoire and how smart he is at setting guys up when his stuff is at his best and just adjustments that he makes in between starts. He's one of the smartest pitchers I've been around ever. Um, and, and see how he talks the game, how he goes through a bullpen session um, and, and makes little tiny adjustments. Um, you know, sometimes he can get a little too into the weeds, um, which is, you know, that, that might sound like a bad thing. It's really not as long as it doesn't become a thing where, you know, it carries into a game. And you just let this your stuff eat in a game, and his stuff is awesome. Um, and so I think he's, you know, when he can find that consistency at the major league level and the confidence, kind of what we saw in his start at Tropicana Field against his former organization, that's the kind of thing that they that you know they can really start to rely on. And and the Cardinals, the last couple of years, they've needed some back end of the rotation depth to make an impact on their team. Yeah, and I think that that's really key because, like you said, fastball and curveball. What I thought was so interesting is, like we said, he led in minor league baseball uh, with strikeouts there for a good portion of the year, and especially with the you know automated strike zone, it's amazing to me that, number one, he could navigate that effectively um, and be able to get you know the results that he did prior to the call-up. I think it'll be really interesting to see you know, what the Cardinals do with him this coming season. Obviously, they went out and spent and bought, you know, their bull, their uh, rotation as of right now. But I think if he can get back to what he was doing at AAA, I think he's better than what Steven Matz is offering right now in that fifth rotational spot. And I, I, and I kind of, I feel like that's what, that's the reason why they want to try to bring him around to replace Matz at some point this year. You know, to be honest, I think a, a Lance Lynn type signing, a Sonny Gray type signing is going to help Libertor because of the mentality. Just go out and be a dog. Go out and dominate people, right? And when, when Libertor pitches ticked off, that's when his stuff is really, really good. And you can see the demeanor on his face. Like, he's such a great guy, so I, I root for him there, and I really hope they give him an honest – true chance and I, and I think that they will um, you know with with you know how much they've invested in that I think I think that they will um, but I because I've seen we've seen it at AAA and we've seen it work um, and, and that stuff like he didn't really struggle with fastball velocity much in AAA and, and you kind of wonder at least I do anyway if there's a difference in guns you know radar guns and stuff like that I don't we didn't see it that much in anybody else but no, I think it's just a thing where just go out there and be a dog, right? Go out there and battle and, and you know, know that you're better than the other guy. Right. And we've been talking about him like on and off here as he's kind of gone back and forth and like feels like he's been in the, in, just in the league or in the conversation for a while. He's still he's going into his age 24 season. And so there's just there's still so much time. Yeah. Yep. It'd be so cool to see him with Gorman all the time, too. That storyline is just so darn cool. Yes. Yeah. And they're like the way they talk about the game with one another too. Like that those two grew up together in the game and like you can understand like you know how smart they are talking about the game is 
it, it, it's crazy. Like some of the stuff, it's like, sure. Like, I, yes, that's just speaking a different, different language than me right now just because of how in-depth it is. And it, it all, like once you actually slow down and think about what they're saying, like it all, it, it, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's got to be cool to kind of sit in those conversations. Um, so yeah, Libertor like definitely someone who's not who still has a lot of you know a lot of opportunities and, and a lot of potential there. So good to hear that on the kind of the back end how he kind of approaches you know bullpens and things like that. That's that's awesome. And then I want to bring up another pitcher here, uh, Michael McGreevy. He spent a, a ton of time at AAA last year, uh, almost the full season. Uh, he had one hundred thirty four point one innings at AAA, and you know he's always been kind of like a uh, more of like a pitch to contact hitter with, with really great command i mean he's never had a walk rate above the complex level uh, never had a walk rate higher than 6.3 percent and so you know really good at you know avoiding walks but he just you know hasn't really been able to strike out a ton of batters and he's really on the seems like on the cusp you know could be ready and he's still pretty young too he is going into his age 23 season so i wanted to ask alex from what you watched of him last year is there something in his arsenal that you think could really like like unlock some potential for him you know because like we know he's got good command but like what what else is he kind of working with there that uh, that could be a difference maker you talk about being a dog i think he's got the exact mentality of like i am going to eat eat your lunch um you know he, he's <laughs> he, he's not going to blow it by unnecessarily but he's got the stuff to just add subtract left right up down command of the zone that you just mentioned um the tenacity and like you have to rip the ball out of his hand to get him out of the game um, which is great awesome awesome thing um he did add i i I, i'm gonna have to go back and look it was either sinker or cutter at the end of the season that really was a different wrinkle to what he was working. No, no, sorry. He was working on a, a four-seam fastball at the top of the zone because he had um, the, the sinker-cutter type pitch um, as his, his main, uh, quote-unquote, fastball type pitch that, that he would play off of it. Uh, sinker-slider is what it was. Um, so he was working on getting, getting something at the top of the zone that could work there um, and add some depth along with his east-west nature. Um, to, to what he was working with. So he was working more stuff at the top of the zone. I think that could be a, a third pitch that he can develop. But when he would get in his groove, he'd work quickly. Um, he'd pitch to contact. And, you know, he'd be get in, get on the mound, and get off quickly. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was awesome to watch um, and, and how he dealt with things. You can see that he's still really young. Um, some of the frustrations were, again, he liked the competitiveness, but it's also like, hey, you're going to have some starts where you just don't have it. Um, and so watching him compete was so fun. It was really fun because of how competitive he was and you know how much he wanted it. Um, and he had an awesome family too that, um, you know, would, would come say hi to me when, when I'd be walking around after games, and um, which was, you know, really cool as well. So he, he's a great – another one of the great guys in the Cardinals organization that is, um, you know, bound to do some great things for them here soon. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. See, that's that's awesome, man. And, and here's the thing, like looking at his splits throughout the season, you could definitely tell in August he hit a little bit of a rough spat there but really kind of turned it around, just like you said, in September. And I think kind of maybe working with that new pitch might have worked pretty well for him because the strikeout rate did jump uh, back up because it was, you know, lagging behind there for a little while in August. 
uh, had a strong July in May as well. So I think it's really interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does this year because I think he's from, from our context, he is kind of a, a pitcher that goes a lot like really under the radar. Right. But this is a guy kind of like Sonny Gray in a way who is now with the organization, who is a guy who will go out there and battle, you know, he'll be able to kind of work, you know, work the different pitches in and be able to locate them. That's one of the major things is being able to work with his location and be able to make his pitches work for him. It, it could be something very interesting to see this year. And with how young he is, I'm pretty excited to see him, you know, potentially make his debut at some point this year. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cardinals love their sinker slider guys. Uh, it's just, it's been an organizational philosophy for a long time. And, you know, if you throw strikes and, and you pitch, you quote unquote, um, pitch to contact in that organization, they really like having that. Um, and, and especially some of the parks that they play in division, you got to keep the ball on the ground. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, I, I think they like him a lot. Um, do they view him as a possible top end of the rotation guy eventually? I don't believe so. Do I think that at the top end of what he can do and, w- again, with how competitive he, he is, you know, you, you might not be wide by the stuff, but the results will speak for themselves. Yeah, and the, the Cardinals have really, I think, built – a ton of depth in that uh, starting pitching, because I think it was for the longest time, they were definitely like the pitching organization, you know, um, and like Yadier uh, was there and he was kind of running everything and, and they really had good pitching, good defense for the longest time. And then it was like, there's a couple of years there, um, like Goldschmidt came over and Arenado and everything. And like, they really turned into like an offensive kind of powerhouse. And at the same time, like, you know, Wainwright had gotten a little older, they had lost some guys. And like, there was a minute where they were like the, they were the offensive team that were just outscore you. And now I think they've really kind of built up uh, a bunch of depth and have a lot of those guys just really waiting in the wings, like looking at just their 40 man roster I mean, they have five pitchers just that should be ready in Triple in A that will be able to step in. You know, they went and acquired like Drew Rom, and they have like Zach Thompson who got some quality innings for him. And then they got off of the forty man, they got you know Graceffo and McGreevy, and like seems like they can really handle. Like everyone was talking about how kind of old their rotation is, and like how they went out and acquired some guys who were you know in their mid thirties, but like they have the arms to kind of to back that up and fill wherever needed. And I think these guys will. A lot of them are ready. They spent a ton of time at AAA, you know, so I think it's always good to have that depth for sure. Yeah, I think Gordon Graceffo is a good name too to, to watch with that. Um, I think he's got a, uh, a little bit more refinement to, to go. He, he missed a little bit of time due to injury um, in, in the last season as well, but I think he's another guy that once he finds the consistency with his stuff, um, his stuff is crazy. Um, but, but, yeah, I think to your point, there's – what you said about Yadier Molina, like, he was so unbelievable, obviously. But, like, you saw it without him this year and how much that changed things. Wilson Contreras is a, is a very good catcher. I love how he plays baseball. I love the, the energy that he brings to the game and how happy he seems playing the game. Um, you know, but 99.99% of catchers that have ever played the game are not the caliber of Yadier Molina at working with a pitching rotation. And when you're in that in a, an organization like that for a long time, pitchers get used to a certain way that, that a game is called and, and, and a catcher you know deals with pitching staff. And I think um, 
you know, he, he deserves so much of the credit for how good of an organization and how much success that they did have on the pitching side of things. And they just have to figure out, all right, what's it going to look like without him? Oh, wait, he comes back and he's going to help out that even more by being on uh, the coaching staff. So I think that's going to be something that, um, you know, might be one of the more important uh, additions, if you will, to um, not the roster, but, but the, the major league level of the organization in St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talk about like the intangibles there. It's it, it'll be really awesome to have have him there. And then uh, going back to the offensive side of the ball, um, we'll we'll chat since you brought him up, um, Yadier and Wilson, and we'll talk about the other catcher in the organization, Ivan Herrera. And you brought him up earlier as a guy that that you've really enjoyed kind of talking with, and um, really interested because I think when they signed Wilson Contreras for like a long term deal, they still have him for I think like maybe four or five years, you know, it was like, oh, it kind of, you know, blocked Herrera. And so a lot of hype around him kind of died down for a bit. But, you know, now I think like, you know, I, I just want to know, like, is his bat, you know, good enough to compete for maybe some DH plate appearances? Does Wilson hit more DH maybe? And and to get uh, Herrera some defensive reps, you know, kind of what have you noticed from maybe like the the defensive side, the game calling side and, and how he's uh, really kind of like uh, – been uh, developing recently and and to uh, take some at bats on that major league team offensively he had a tremendous triple a season um he you know the batting average was was great i don't remember exactly where it was off the top of my head i remember hovering around 300 for a while um he was near the league lead in doubles for for a big span of the season when he was in triple a the walk rate um was very very good um as opposed to what it had been before um you know, he became a reliable um, a hitter in the order. He was hitting anywhere from two through five in that in that batting lineup, and was a consistent guy. That you know, he wasn't catching every single day, but when he wasn't catching, most of the time he was in that DH spot to make sure he got the number of at bats that, that he needed. And so that was impressive to see him find the consistency there, because you knew that bat was there, and you knew the approach was was there. Um, but he found the consistency and delivered every single time. He was called upon um, the the receiving and pitch calling like he's developing there and he wants to get better with that. Um, I can remember, um, you know, post game meals long after a lot of guys had left. Um, he and I sitting at the table just chatting about things. And like that was one of the things that he really wanted to be like, I want to be a calm veteran, um, you know. The, his first stint there, he went up there. It was a little bit of jitters trying to find a way to fit in and just do everything when it's like. You know, you, you don't need to do everything. Like, let's pick up things and 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 find a way to find your the thing that you're good at, and then grow from there. And so, being a calm presence, um, be be a, being a veteran presence. Once he gets his full uh, allotment of games up there, and I think that's something that has gotten a lot better. Um, you know, we even heard that from the coaching staff too. Was how he called games. The difference from where he was in 2022 to where he was in 2023 was big. And so, as long as you see the consistent development there, um, and you see a guy him work with a guy for maybe five years in the big leagues, I think that's going to be something that you might look back and be like, "Hey, like those two worked really, really well together." Yeah, absolutely. I think young catchers coming in, you know, to a new environment, whether it be the majors, you know, AAA, whatever it is, it's always so fascinating to see how those relationships are built because like, you know, I, one of my uh, buddies from high school was uh, drafted and played a lot of college ball. And I remember one of the things that he was talking about, he played for Nebraska 
when he would make mound visits and he would be a freshman, you know, and he'd go up to like a senior pitcher and be like, Hey man, like, how's it going? Or like, you know, calm down a little bit. And the guy would just look at him like, okay, like what, what are you going to provide me right now? What do you know about this game that I don't know? And so it's, and you know, when you're AAA, there's a lot of veterans and you know, there's people that have been there for a minute and you're all of a sudden in this clubhouse and catchers have such a, like an interesting presence on a team, you know, working with the staff and kind of being that, like the strategist, you know, the guy with the cool head, that veteran, like you said, and that's like a lot of pressure, I think for young guys. And so I think just watching, it's gotta be fascinating. Just watching that, that Yvonne, like really work through that process and, and get better at it, especially just like the standard set in, in the Cardinals org. So um, that's, that's cool to hear that he's like really, really thinking about that and wanting to be that, that presence. Cause that's gotta be pretty intimidating, you know, coming into that situation for sure. Yeah, and he, he's so excited and so ready to make an impact at the major league level. He really, really wants to. Um, I just hope that you know he doesn't put too much pressure on himself and just allows him to to be the the, the good quality player that he can be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, another hitter that we had here, uh, another one that you mentioned earlier, Lucan Baker. So he was just absolutely crushing the ball last year. He ended up hitting 33 homers at uh, AAA in 2023, uh, hit 21 there in 2022. And I mean, he's been at AAA. He now has logged, looks like 890 plate appearances at AAA. Uh, he is, let's see, 26 years old, going into his age 27 season. So, it, you know, he's kind of been right at the cusp, you know, for a while there. So, you know, Alex, I first just want to know, like, since you've talked to him a lot, like, what have you kind of heard from him about, like, about his approach, what he's been working on, and, and kind of where his mindset's at. Uh, starting back in 2022, um, you you would see his power, and then you, you would go a little bit without seeing the power. And, and that was one of his things. Like, right near the All-Star break, we were in Nashville, and he was like, you know, I was talking to him. He's like, man, like, I was like, you know, you're putting together a really good week. You know, this is great. He's like, yeah, it's a really good week. I just need to put together a couple good weeks in a row. Instead of, and and a consistency was the biggest thing that he wanted to find. Um, and he struggled to find it at times in 2022. Consistency was the biggest thing that led to his success in 2023. Um, you saw the power numbers. They were always there. The walk rate was the biggest thing. Him starting to lay off off-speed pitches low and away. Um, and you know, he still had a bit of a hole with the fastball up and in, but even that pitch was, was a little less effective now that he started to lay off low and away, especially sliders and some curveballs outside of the zone. <clears throat> so approach change there and that unlocked the power. Like the guy hit a home run on a broken bat last season. And the funniest part of it, like we were wearing the, our, uh, so uh, rib weekend in Memphis is very – it's a very big thing. We were wearing yeah. a rib weekend uniforms. And this big guy from Texas hits a bomb with a broken bat wearing <laughs> the rib uniforms. Like, just awesome. Like, yes, this is exactly what, what we needed for content. But, um, you know, that's how much power, raw power he has. And the patience was great to see. He's going to strike out. Um, a big guy with that biggest swing that's just going to. Um, so, but, but he's got power, um, you know, he had some, so he showed some really cool things at the major league level last year when he got some chances. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate for him that he plays first base and, um, you know, is, is behind Paul Goldschmidt, um, who is, you know, an MVP caliber player year in and year out. 
Um, so whether it's possible trade market, whether it's uh, platoon situations at DH, um, whether it's you know you know you know unfortunately something else happens to where a first base spot opens up, um, he's gonna he, he's knocking on the door. He's really close. Yeah, and I think it. I think it's so cool to see with what he was able to do last year because, like you said, he struggled with the strikeouts a little bit in 2022 as well as 2021, uh, but he cut down quite a bit. It was amazing. At AAA, he had 20% strikeout rate. Ra- Rose, Rose <laughs> raised his walk rate from 7.2% uh, the year prior in 2022 to 15.5%. That's fantastic. It was crazy at the beginning, like the first month of the season. I'm like, like he's pretty much walked as much as he did last year already. Like he was leading yeah. the league for a good point of the season in walks. It was, it, it was, yeah, not something that you you expected coming in, but was an awesome development to see that again unlocked some of that power potential. Right, and that just goes back to the time that people spend at AAA, you know, and that the yeah. development that happens, like with Mason Wynn, you know, you see that you work on it day in day out, and like. Cardinals have had such great competition for those roster spots, you know, and I think that kind of creates some of this, like, yeah, but guys might spend a little more time there. You got Goldschmidt kind of blocking the path, but like they're, they're able to really make some great adjustments. I mean, his, like his BBK uh, walks to strikeouts went from 0.29 to 0.78. Like y'all were just talking about, like, that's just such a huge improvement. And it's just that time, those reps that put in, like you said, when you have the talent and you spend the time on it, like it'll come through for sure. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the credit, you know, of course, the player deserves the most credit, but a lot, a ton of credit um, is is deserved by hitting coach Howie Clark. He, it was his first season in the organization last year, and the work he did with Jordan Walker, um, the work he did with Mason Wynn, the work he did with Yvonne Herrera, the work he did with Luke and Baker, and some of the other guys that we you know haven't seen uh, you know make the impact at Triple A just yet, um, but what are coming through the system. I can't wait to see him work with Thomas Sejaci um, if Sejaci is at AAA for, for a big bulk of the season. I think, you know, Howie is such a smart mind, but I think he's, he's really calm. Um, he understands players. Of course, he, he was a big leaguer. Um, but, like, he's like, just be your – like, people are going to have different approaches. I'm not going to try to change your approach uh, in terms of, like, change you away from being you we're going to find things and refine those things so you can be the best you um and and just the job that he did and how he was able to be a zen master for for a lot of those guys was awesome um rick did you have a, a question that you wanted to add in there yeah no i i think that that's fantastic i think if he's given that opportunity to be able to play full time i think that he could be huge I mean, 33 home runs and 84 games played, that's absurd. And especially with all those, you know, improvements that he was able to make throughout the year. I think it's I think it's very impressive to see, you know, from a lot of the player development standpoints that, you know, the AAA level for the Cardinals has been able to do, you know, and, and talking about an organization that prides themselves on bringing players up from within. I think that's what's key. So, oh yeah, just a really cool scenario there. And look, like he very well could, you know, have have the impact at AAA, being Luke and Baker, and and just become, you know, a more sought after trade commodity. 
Um, we saw some rumors start to flow around really starting in June with him. Um, of course, he, he never got traded, but I think, you know, the biggest look was some, some Nationals looks last season. Uh, you know, of course, you never know who's going to be that guy that's going to be sought after at the deadline, specifically on the pitching front of things. But it could be a situation where, you know, of course, the Cardinals want to win every single season. They have that expectation, and rightfully so, to where – Say he's not, you know, say Paul Goldschmidt is, is back to the all-star caliber and MVP caliber play that he has. Like, hey, um, you know, we have a commodity that can bring us something very positive on the pitching end to us. Um, and and Lucan goes and, and gets everyday first base reps or DH reps at the big league level for, for another club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick ad break again. Thanks so much for like really just providing some extra context on, on these guys. Cause it's, you know, like we've, you know, we've seen this, this, like they said, so much competition and for the Cardinals and some of these guys have really spent a lot of time in AAA. And so I think as like a fan or as like a fantasy player, you're kind of like, Oh, like when are they going to be here? Like what's happening? So it's good to get that kind of behind the scenes, um, you know, look at, at what these guys are doing and how they're developing and, and how much that, that, uh, that time in the, in the organization really uh, at AAA, it makes a difference. So I'm going to take a break, quick break and then we're going to come back and uh, touch on Alex's experiences in the Arizona fall league real quick. And then uh, we'll uh, let y'all have a great night. All right. And we're back. And, uh, you know, we wanted to take another opportunity to talk about the AFL because um, it's just, again, one of the most talked about events. And, uh, you know, we've had some uh, good opportunities to have people involved who have been there. You know, Rick was able to see some games and, and Alex was able to call the games and kind of get that firsthand experience like we had uh, Drew last week who was, who was coaching. And so, you know, Alex, just want to ask, like, Overall, what was your experience like in the AFL? Like, what was the overall kind of like the vibe? What it was, what it was like to be there around really all of these like prospects who are so close to the majors and who just like the amount of talent that's always at the, that um, that showcase is just is just ridiculous. So yeah, what were what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's so cool to be a part of that because you know it's it's a lot of guys that you know some are very highly touted prospects. And some guys are there, like, you know, some pitching is like, okay, I, I'm rehabbing from an injury and I've got some innings to give. And so the difference, you know, in that and, and how much, you know, you have the dynamic of, you know, we're not all part of the same organization. So this is kind of like a, you know, a little bit of summer ball action. We're only going to be together for, you know, 30 some odd games. Let's try to, you know, make some really good friends and, and have fun playing baseball while also gaining knowledge and different philosophies from different organizations, which I think is important for the players most, you know, specifically because um, uh, it helps the players most specifically because, um, you know, you see so many specific philosophies in organizations to where a fresh idea could really unlock a guy. And, and that's not a knock on that organization that he's in, but you hear one thing said a different way. Like it could be saying the exact same thing just in a different way could be used to unlock a player. So I think that dynamic is really cool. Um, uh, you, I believe you had Drew Martinez on last week and, um, he was, had a chance to coach in the Arizona Fall League. It was great to catch up with him there. But I think that was one of the things that he was excited about was being able to impart his wisdom but also learn from some of the other organizations' coaches that were there but also learn from the players and, and how to coach a guy that had been in a different system and, and how to speak multiple languages. So I think that's all really, really cool. Um, 
Chuck Fox does a tremendous job um, from the MLB side organizing everything, um, and, and he's taking the, the Arizona Fall League in a very positive direction um, that I think it's going to be, um, you know, prospects are so followed now in baseball because, you know, for fan bases that aren't necessarily in it, that's their ticket to feel like they're in the postseason. It's like, oh, this guy, like he's going to bring us some some wins and some some promise and some hope. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to uh, um, take two classes taught by Bud Selig at, at ASU um, in the law school. And one of the things in spring training that he wanted all 30 markets to have was hope and faith. Hope for positive results to come, either this year or that a rebuild is going to um, bring them to that prominence and faith in the group to, 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 to do that. So I think um, Arizona Fall League having a place in the prospects idea part of it, it's only going to become more prominent. And I think we're going to see a lot more coverage and a lot more um, intensity and fun from that too in years to come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I wanted to ask about a specific player before I open it up and, and ask about general guys. Like, there's a there was a Cardinals player that was there that's been getting a ton of hype recently. I wanted to hear, see just to hear if you had kind of like talked to him at all, if you've heard about at all about him. And I'm sure you'll see him this year. But I wanted to ask about Victor Scott and in his you know development. Were you able to kind of see him at all in games? And, and what is your thoughts on on Victor Scott? Yeah, so uh, you know, I've heard a ton about Victor Scott and his speed um, and what he is able to do defensively as well. He's got a good bat. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I didn't get to see him a ton, maybe one or two games. But I'm excited to hear, like, you know, he had a very good fall league too. Um, and and it just seems like every time you hear something from him, he's doing something well and he's doing that that stuff consistently. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, it's just another one of those names that like. Cardinals always seem to have at least one of those big, big guys. And it's like, oh, everybody's excited to see him come through the system and see what a development developmental system like that can do with a player of his caliber. Um, so I'm excited to watch him play. Um, I saw mostly – most of my games that I did were Mesa Solar Sox, so that was a lot of Cubs, Yankees, A's prospects. Um, so, you know, Kevin Alcantara – the power that that guy has is just unbelievable. Um, you know, I think it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about him necessarily, but I think, you know, when he gives his full effort, he is an, an amazing player. And of course, you know, deep into an Arizona fall league season, um, you know, it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to, to continually be 110% uh, in you know tracking down balls and, and all of that stuff. I'm not saying he was dogging it at all. That's not what I'm saying. But like when he is locked in, he can hit a ball 550 million feet. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that was something that uh, I know uh, Chris Welsh ended up talking about this a little bit, and I was around him whenever he did that. You know, he whenever he interviewed Alcantara, he said he was just gassed. It was a long season. He was ready. He was ready to be done. But, you know, and, and that's a good point. I mean, this is a long season. You're finishing it off there. But, I mean, the tools, just like you said, Alex, I mean, they are off the charts. I know uh, you said you saw a lot of Yankees prospects there. Caleb Durbin, 
oh my gosh he was so much fun to watch in the arizona fall league he was fun to watch all last season uh yeah i i, I wanted to hear what you thought of uh, caleb durbin he, when i hear his name consistency is the biggest thing like he just how consistent he was with with production um you know and just being a catalyst in that lineup for Mesa, um, you know, it just seemed like his average was always way higher than, than any normal batting average would, would, you know, should, should be in the production that he was providing. Um, I'm trying to think of the Cubs second baseman, Triantos, uh, James Triantos. I was oh, yeah. As well. I liked what I saw from him a lot. And to see those two play together was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, so, but yeah, Durbin, he, that, that's a name that, that, um, you know, I, I'm going to have to go look back and look at my scorebook again, but yeah, he was, he was fun to watch as well. And he, he's the guy that brought it every single day. It's amazing. You look at what he did last year with, uh, the Yankees organization in high A and double A. I mean, he, he, uh, ended up playing 47 games in double A to finish the year, 4.6% strikeout rate. 4.6. We don't see it like oh, at all yeah. anymore. Yeah. Meanwhile, he had 14.4% walk rate. Just like, wow. <laughs> and he's like Jose Altuve size too. It's exactly. great. He, he and Triantos are, are, are that size. And, you know, I think we're, we're getting to a point in baseball where like, you know, side, like guys like that are going to have as much power as some of the bigger guys too. Um, you know, there are going to be the freak athletes like the Kevin Alcantara's of the world, but there are also going to be some guys that, you know, might not be exactly the most physically imposing and play middle infield positions, but all of a sudden they find a way to create leverage with their hips and, 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 and foot positioning in the box and just create torque on the ball to just spray things around the yard and, and hop some fences. Yeah, watching uh, watching Tamar Johnson like really unlock his power last year because like he was talked about in the draft as like oh this like like power hitting second baseman he's like five eight you know and it took him a little bit to kind of get his legs under him but man when he started breaking out last year it is so fun to watch like it just like like you said how he gets that leverage and just the pop that he has in his bat I mean it's like you said like the but Dustin Pedroia and Altuve were like the outliers you know like they were like once in a generation type guys and it was like oh well like this is you can't this is they, they broke the mold but you can't bet on it like now like you said we're seeing these guys like Jet Williams is another one you know it's not as much of a barrier now as as it's been it's just awesome to see yeah, I, I, I like how you, you mentioned a couple ASU guys there as well. Tamar Johnson <laughs> didn't, never played at ASU, and he, he was an ASU signee. I remember how big it was when he committed. I really wanted him to play, but obviously um, it's good enough to be that highly touted of a first-round pick and is a phenomenal player. And then Dustin Pedroia, to have him start off as a walk-on at ASU um, and uh, just be that the dirt devil that he was at ASU and turn into the career that he had, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and and Tamar Johnson, oh my gosh, man. He was so much fun to watch in Greensboro last year. I can't wait to see more of it this, this upcoming year. He's so clean. Like, that's how I'd describe his game. Mm-hmm. He's clean. Clean swing, clean defensively. Just everything he does is clean. The running form, clean. Yep, exactly. Oh, man. All right. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. The uh, the information that we're able to get from Alex here today. 
um, really wanted to thank you for your time and, and coming on. I know that's a big, big season, uh, you know, busy time of year for you with college baseball starting up. You're still doing hockey and then the, the minor league season is going to be starting up, spring training, everything like that. So really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us about uh, really, you know, all things kind of AAA and, and getting some prospect breakdowns here because it's just it's so cool to hear from someone who kind of has that the ear of the organization and, and the players and being able to kind of provide the context that you are. So thanks, Ben. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for reaching out. Um, and, you know, in in talking about these, like it really got me excited for the upcoming season, which is is getting really, really close. Um, so, you know, some of the things that uh, we talked about having those conversations with guys like Yvonne Herrera long after games around uh, the, the postgame spread, talking to guys like Luke and Baker before batting practice about TCU football and stuff like that. Can't wait for those moments, but also can't wait to watch guys, um, you know, strike um pitchers strike out a ton of guys and then people hit 500 foot home runs so can't wait for that yeah absolutely man sounds great well you can find alex on x at alex underscore coil uh, you can find me of course at jake mace rick at must be the hawk and of course the podcast follow what we're doing here at pl on the farm thank you all so much for tuning in for listening and have a great rest of your night <laughs>